0: Good morning. Let's pray, and then we will jump into our study this morning. It's good to see everyone. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this Lord's Day, just um, the start of the week as we gather to, to corporately worship you. As we open up your word this morning, it's in recognition that it is your word to us, our authoritative word from you. We do well to know it to believe it, to obey it. And so I pray as we open up your word this morning, that would be our right response. God, as we have the opportunity to sing praises to you, to pray together, uh, to sit under the preaching of the word, just be glorified through it all. Um, We look forward even this evening as we come back together for the baptism service and then a fellowship dinner, just thankful for this local church and the, the opportunity we have to To be reminded of the gospel as we hear the testimony and then to hear of your work being done um, through missionaries that we support and then just to gather for fellowship around a meal. We just pray that you'd be glorified in it all and we'd be equipped and encouraged and edified through the worship that takes place today. Be with us now as we continue the study in Numbers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been learning a lot as we've been walking through Numbers. Maybe a book that just wasn't one with a whole lot of... Real careful study uh, in the past as far as thorough through the whole book. Felt the same way in Leviticus. I was like, wow, this book has just been so rich to think through and find myself thinking very similar thoughts as we study numbers together. Uh, I think we do well often in our study in numbers to to kind of use that 1 Corinthians 10 statement that Paul makes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to use that, that statement as really kind of introductory thought uh, each time we think about numbers. In in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, after interacting with events that unfold in this particular book uh, that we read about in Numbers, Paul writes, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So just real briefly, wanted to give opportunity. Do do you find yourself thinking through examples in numbers that have been written down for your instruction. What what comes to mind is certain things you've benefited from as you've thought through. There's really been this back and forth going in numbers where you read narrative, events that unfold, and then really law that is laid down in light of the narrative that you read about. But in some of this narrative that, that we've been exposed to, what are some of the examples that have been written down for our instruction?
1: Grumbling.
0: Yes, that's right. I mean, would you be surprised that it'll come up again as, as the basis for, for some of the law that is laid down and what we read about today in 16 through uh, 17 through 19? Again, just this grumbling that characterizes Israel and tempts us as well. So if, if there's kind of this paradigm of do not... And if you were to fill in the, uh, the blank, it would be grumble. What would kind of be the example that is laid down that is written for our instruction that would be more on the positive side? Do not grumble. Mm-hmm. Do...
1: Rejoice in the Lord always.
0: I mean, sure. So think of has God, God has been good to Israel is, is what we saw the statement that it is reminded. There's so much that Israel has to rejoice in being delivered. And yet they use that as a source of grumbling that they've been removed from the all the blessings they had under slavery. I mean what what skewed thinking that they have. They they're not rejoicing in the Lord always. What do you need in order to be able to rejoice in the Lord always? What what right response to God do you need to be capable of rejoicing in all circumstances? What what do you have to have? Gratitude, joy, joy, well, joy gratitude um, and we're, what was that? Humility. humility. These are all really good comments. Trust. Trust. So uh, Ben wins the guess what's in Doug's brain game. It's always unfair to the listener. I mean, there's so many right answers there. Everything that y'all were saying, absolutely. You need humility in order to, to handle all that God ordains. You need um, joy in order to rejoice. You need um, gratitude, all of those are very true statements. But certainly in numbers, trust has really been this, this key statement. Uh, what, are, what are some of the failures that Israel has had in, in their trust? What, how, what are some ways that you see their lack of trust in regards to these events that have unfolded? Yes. They enter the land. You're right. Be, what is it that they're not trusting? Uh, you know, think about, think about that bad report that comes kind of after the spies go into Canaan. You know, God has promised them this land. And in fact, the whole event, this espionage, this, the spies are going in not to kind of assess whether or not this is a good plan or a bad plan, whether or not this is feasible. They're, they're to go in and to be reminded that God is gonna give us this land. So they are to take note of, is the land prosperous? What are are there... Um, you know, like established cities, are. what are the, how many people are, that kind of stuff they're to, they're to take note of, but it's not to evaluate whether or not this is going to be a su- successful, um, over go, to go into, the, in, into Canaan, God's going to give them the land. So they're not trusting God's promise there. What's well, something even last week when Ben was teaching, when you think of um, the rebellion that takes place, whether well, it's the, Um, sons of Korah, or even just the people in general, what, how is lack of trust on this? What are they not trusting in, in regards to God's provision in the last few chapters? The leadership, that's right. Mm -hmm. These are God's appointed leaders. And so, um, it's stunning to me. I mean, it shouldn't, nothing should surprise us in this and we should really even take note of how do I resemble this often? But if you even just kind of walk through what was talked about in in chapter 16, after you have this rebellion and really in listening to a few other people interact with this book, they're pointing out that often you'll see this pattern that goes on where you have rebellion. And then after the rebellion, God's response to the rebellion is kind of revealing judgment. You know, he is... uh, pronouncing judgment on Israel for their rebellion. So the pattern is Israel's rebellion, and then God pronounces judgment upon them for their rebellion. And then what you'll notice next, uh, as Ruth was pointing out, God's leadership, you'll see God's chosen man, Moses, uh, and even Moses and Aaron, as, as Aaron is God's chosen man for the priesthood, you see Moses and Aaron interceding on behalf of of God's people. So rebellion, judgment-pronounced, intercession on behalf of the people. And then there, there is still th- this judgment that, that comes, consequences um, for their rebellion. And then after that rebellion, there is, I mean, after the judgment the rebellion, then there's a sign that is given just, you know, if we think 1 Corinthians 10, these things were written down for our instruction. So too, in Numbers, you continue to see this uh, something that that is given, placed, uh, set in front of the people as a sign to learn from what just took place so that they don't go and do the same thing again. But then what you read about is they go and do the same thing again. And so what I guess what I when I'm saying I was stunned last week, just to think about, you have Korah's rebellion. God pronounces judgment. Um, there's, there's intercession on behalf of their rebellion. God, God still administers judgment upon them. And then there's even a memorial to remind them not to do this again. And then the, um, what happens next is uh, verses 41 and following. Look at it in number 16, because this actually prepares us for number 17. So Numbers 16, if, as has been pointed out, they're they're not trusting in God's appointed leadership, and then you just saw God, through Moses, tell them they will be judged for their rebellion, and then in a very... Obvious way that it is God who has brought about this judgment. God, God judges the rebels in chapter sixteen, and then there's even this memorial put in place to remind them not to do it again. And then you see in verse uh, 41 on the next day, if you're looking number 16:41 on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, "You have killed the people of the Lord." So, so they just observe God's judgment. Clearly, God has spoken. God has shown them they are in rebellion against him. And they're rebelling against him through not trusting in God's leadership. And then the accusation that is then made is not, they don't respond in humility. They respond with greater rebellion. Uh, you, you, guys have, you guys have killed the people of the Lord, is what they accuse Moses and Aaron of. So, just stunning to read of that. Rebellion. So, if the pattern was rebellion, judgment, intercession, um, judgment administered, and then a a sign to remind you, that's what you need to be ready for again in this event. So, verse forty-one, you're seeing rebellion, and and then Ben walked through this last week. We saw the judgment that is, um, that is, um, that is foretold, uh, judgment that is pronounced. Moses intercedes, Aaron intercedes uh, on behalf of the people, and then judgment is carried out. And so we need this sign then. If the pattern was what I just said, rebellion, judgment, intercession, judgment administered, a sign follows that. Well, that's what chapter 17 is going to be, is going to be a sign. If they have just accused Moses and Aaron of not being God's chosen leaders, they've done this before, This is not the first time there's been this continuous challenge to God's leadership. It happened in chapter 14, several times. It happened just as we looked at in 16, several times. And so then in 17, there's going to be this sign very clearly from God that Moses is God's spoken, like his mouthpiece and Aaron is God's priest and you would do well, Israel, to trust God's uh, appointment. So then trust the leadership as well. And so there's going to be a sign that we read about in Numbers 17. And so it very much follows uh, the events that we read about in 16. We have three chapters to look at, so lots of content. And, and let me just point out that all of it reminds us how we have to read through Numbers because you look at it like, wow, there's so many reminders. There's so much review, We've already heard about the priest. We've already heard about their role. We've already heard about how sacrifices are done. You're like, my goodness, again? But, well, yes, again. They need it again. They've forgotten it. They, and you're going to hear their forgetfulness at the end of chapter 17. They need to be reminded of God's blessing of uh, appointing priests. So, so chapter 18 makes sense as God lists the duties of the priest, as God speaks of the role of, and responsibility of the priest and the Levites. And um, the blessing that it is that God has given the people priests. So chapter 18 makes sense. Then when we move into chapter 19, you might think, this actually looks like one of the more strange chapters I've read. And, and But then you're going to recognize there's also God's goodness is on display in this cleansing, uh, this provision of cleansing that God gives For this this cleansing water that is going to be made for the people when they come in contact with the dead body. So, when we read chapter 19, we might think, well, we've read about this before in Leviticus. Uh, We know that they're defiled when they touch dead bodies. That we're a little bit, you know, not, it's just not that connected to us as we're reading that in chapter 19. Why might the Israelites be pretty tempted to listen carefully about instruction about what to do when you come in contact with a dead body? Why might their ears be inclined to listen?
1: There's a bunch of them. There's a
0: bunch of dead bodies. That's right. And so again, it just reminds us, let's, let's, let's read um, you know, the, the whole. So, so you just finished chapter 16 with this 14,700 uh, scenarios for needing cleansing. There's going to be a lot of dead bodies and and whether it's, you know, in in battle or whether it's accidentally stumbling upon something in the forest, whether it's even in the home. um, There's all sorts of scenarios where the people are mindful that they're going to come in contact with dead bodies. And so because it defiles them, they're, they're unclean. Um, in light of touching that dead body, they need cleansing. And so chapter 19 is really just, again, going to point to God's, God's provision because that would be expensive and exhausting and almost impossible to, to sacrifice an animal every time they come in contact. And so you're, you're going to see God's provision and in, in, in this, this sacrificing of this red heifer, burning the, the sacrifice and then taking the ash and using the ash uh, mixed with water, to serve as this cleansing agent to um, over the course of a week to cleanse someone who comes in contact and all involved with that cleansing act. And so it's just gonna serve as, uh, not, not in some, don't, don't think in some sac- sacrilegious way of like some like instant sacrifice type of view, but it, that, that is kind of what, it almost is helpful in a way to think you have a sacrifice ready, you have this cleansing ready, through this, this cleansing water that chapter 19 is going to walk us through. So, no promises on reading all of it because th- there's a lot here. I do think we'll read all of chapter 17 real quick. Let's go ahead and start there. And then we'll, we'll read through portions of chapter 18 and portions of chapter 19. At least that will be our, our plan. So, Numbers chapter 17. We're, we're not surprised that... Israel has put God's leadership to the test because of the multiple times that they've accused Moses of not being God's man or not being the only uh, man or Aaron not being the only high priest. All of these things, they have just wrestled with God's appointment. So if what took place already is not a sign enough to see Aaron interceding on behalf of the people, uh, the way that 16 ended. He stood, verse 48 says, between the dead and the living and the plague was stopped. I mean, you ought to look at 1648 and say, there it is. Aaron is God's priest for us. He has interceded on our behalf and has stopped this plague by standing in between the living and the dead. But they, they need further clarity and so there's gonna be a sign given to them to know indeed Aaron is God's appointed priest. So chapter 17, let me read verses uh, one through seven, and then we'll make some comments. So, So follow along here. Number 17, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and get from them staffs, one for each father's house from all their chiefs, according to their father's houses, 12 staffs. Write each man's name on his staff. And write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi, for there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you, and the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. And the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. Okay, So, so you can kind of just walk through this scenario and it's, it's relatively uh, self-explanatory to, to observe what, what God's instruction is to the people. He, he's spoken to Moses and here's what he's, he's told him to do. Speak to the people, get these staffs from these leaders, these 12 um, and Aaron as well. So, so there's gonna be 13 staffs, I believe, and then write their names on each of the staffs and then deposit them into the tent of meeting. So, so Moses is the one who's going to carry this out. So there's no tampering with the evidence here. You know, Aaron doesn't have some advantage here to pull out some magic trick to, to give the appearance that these guys made. No, this is clearly going to be God at work. God's going to do something. And often we think, wow, how cool, like that God does something miraculous. Recognize here, God's going to do something miraculous that really just points to the, the folly of the people. It, they, they have not been willing to receive God's instruction on this. And even the clear evidence that just has taken place, they have not willingly obeyed and submitted to God's appointed leaders. And so this, this miraculous event that's going to unfold in chapter 17 is really, uh, judge, well, it, it speaks very poorly of, of that this miracle was necessary for Israel to receive God's appointed leader of Aaron. So, pretty interesting stuff. In chapter 17, he, he says these, these 13 staffs, are going to be placed before the Lord in verses six and seven. Um, and, and so that, that's what Moses does. He obeys. Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of meeting, uh, in the tent of the testimony. Okay, so then let's look what happens. Verse eight through 11. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted, and it put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels that you may make an end of their grumblings against me lest they die. Thus did Moses as the Lord commanded him, so he did. Okay, so back to an initial comment Bobby, you pointed out one of the things that's written down for instruction is this grumbling of Israel. Again, here you're recognizing in chapter 17, the whole basis for this miracle is in response to to the grumbling. God's ready for this grumbling to end. I'm going to do this. Uh, Verse 5 told us, I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people. Then in verse 10, it says, that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. So then, verse 11, Moses does all that the Lord commanded him. So let's walk back through this, this miraculous event then. Um, how do you see God at work in what takes place uh, in your inability to explain this uh, naturally? What, what unfolds here in verses 8 through 11? What do you have at the beginning? You know, sticks. like sticks, that's right you know, no life in these sticks they're dead, right, okay so So then watch what happens with Aaron's staff, the end of verse eight. Uh, when he well, when he goes in that next morning and he finds Aaron's staff, it has uh, the fourfold reality is pretty interesting. you know, it's sprouted, so again, the next day is what we just read at the beginning of, of this. Section, verse eight, the next day. So you find this stick that went in the night before, that on the next day, it has sprouted. It has put forth buds. It has produced blossoms and it bore ripe almonds. So it's, it's bearing fruit. Um, something that was dead has been brought to life. And clearly God alone can do this. And God has done this. And so it's obvious to all the people. They can't say as they did, even though as ridiculous it was last chapter, God judges the people, they die, uh, and the people say, you've killed God's people, Moses and Aaron. You know, they've failed to recognize that this was God's judgment on them for not recognizing Moses and Aaron. And you're like, how are they so blind to this? But now here in this chapter, again, they're not gonna, they cannot deny Moses and Aaron being um, God's chosen people. Moses speaks on behalf of God. Moses does all that God commands. And then here, Aaron's staff demonstrates that Aaron indeed is God's appointed priest. Because of these sticks, Aaron's is the one that sprouts, it puts forth buds, it produces blossoms, and it bears ripe almonds. I was in Walmart last night and I bought an almond joy to give away to someone <laughs> who answered certain questions today. And so it's at my house. So I'll have an almond joy later today, I guess, (laughs) for my forgetfulness. yeah, sorry for forgetting that. Um, Verse 11, it's just interesting. uh, We have gotten used to this for a while. We're actually not going to see this here in the future in regards to Moses. It's going to be kind of tragic. But uh, the eight times we've just seen, thus did Moses as the Lord had commanded him. So he did. So Moses' leadership has just been characterized by this this obedience to what God has commanded and God blessing him for that. And so there is going to be a a change here in Numbers in an event that we will read about very soon. Any comments up to this point? Yes?
1: I've noticed in my life that when people are grumbling, they're saying, I don't have the power to change this. I'm not responsible to change this. I'm grumbling against the authority figure. And and so to put that mindset into the the fact that even after miracles happen, they still don't believe. They have an attitude of non-empowerment. We can't do this. And then God has just shown them a miracle and says, I am all-powerful, I can do this as an example of his power and pointing out to them. That the problem isn't the, the power, the problem is your attitude, mm-hmm. you know, because you keep grumbling and blaming this on me or on the according to mortgages and and it's not going to work. You have to change your attitude about how power
0: flows in this relationship. Mm. Very, good, very good comment. I think really well, even what you're saying to then read about it in verse 12 and 13, it almost speaks to that in a way because there is this right recognition in the next couple verses after they're going to see God's power on display. God has chosen Aaron and um, they're not the priests. They can't do the things that they wanted to do. And so they, they are going to recognize that in verses 12 and 13. But they're also, they're going to get something right. They're going to get something wrong in what they say in 12 and 13. Uh, let, let's go ahead and move into that unless there's another hint. I think it's like, yes.
1: yeah, like with, uh, with Jesus too, like, you know, his... Uh, uh, you know, this was all, all the sticks, right? You know, he was crucified on the wood, you know, on 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 a on on the cross, you know. But but his his he
0: butted, you know. He rose again, you know. Like that's also, I think there's a symbol there too. There is know? definitely resurrection, yeah, um, new life from something old. Yeah, yeah, Rod. I guess you could, you know, you're talking about, you know, what we teach on Easter. You talk about. An almond staff. Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. That's right. All right. Good deal. Yeah. That's good. That's right. All right. Good deal. Um, verses 12 and 13. In light of this, God has spoken through Moses, And as clearly Aaron is God's man for this role of priest. And so, verses 12 and 13, we hear from the people. And the people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish. We are undone. We're all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? So do you see in that, you know, cer- certain things they're getting right in this? Even just acknowledge, what are, what are some things you say? Yeah, they get this pretty right. They're all undone. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, that's right. They respect the holiness of the tabernacle. Yes. They have that it, fear. There's a fear that is rightly placed in light of all that has unfolded. And then even here that it's Aaron who's the, this, this high priest. God has spoken, He's made it clear. So they're right to say, Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle shall die. Are we all to perish?" is the question mark. So, so at that point, let's ask the, "What do they get wrong in this, or what are they failing to acknowledge and remember and put into this discussion? Trust. Yeah. I mean, trust. that's right, because God has given them, you, know, a priest, and this is not the first they've ever heard about this. And, and so that, that God has provided a way for them to rightly. Um, come into his presence through a mediator and they're, they're failing to remember that and to recognize that. And so chapter 18 makes a whole lot of sense why Why it's, it's next. God's going to, again, speak to this role, the responsibility and role of the priests, of the Levites, of the goodness of this gift. And um, even some of the, provision for how God has provided for these, these Levites and, and the priests. And so, so chapter 18 follows this pattern that has happened twice in a row uh, of what takes place after the rebellion uh, ends with a sign. And so Aaron is this priest and it's going to be a sign that because that staff that, that is placed in the tabernacle um, it, it is placed before the testimony to be kept as a sign. And so chapter 18 then walks through the, the priestly duties, the priestly roles, the, the responsibilities of the Levites, and really even the, the provision for the Levites, the provision for the priests. Let's, let's read some of it. Let's start with just, well, I'll just read verse one just to take note of this. So the Lord said to Aaron, I guess I could pause here. Has this ever happened before? we have been studying, you know, More books than just numbers over the last couple years, and it's not like I expect everybody just to remember this, but we're getting really used to God speaking to Moses, Moses. and so it's been very rare for us to read. uh, I think we have read Spoke to Moses and Aaron, but um, that whole event with Nadab and Abihu back in Leviticus, I think that's the only other time up to this point where we see God speak to Aaron. You don't read about Moses being spoken to. So here we go, Aaron, verse one. So the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear iniquity connected with the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear iniquity connected with your priesthood. I think there's just this helpful reality here to recognize, like, you know, all these guys have wanted to be the priest. You know, why, why is it just Aaron? Why not me? You know, I wish I could be the priest. And um, wouldn't it be nice to be the priest? In fact, we're going to read here later in chapter 18 some of the, the benefits of being the priest, some of the, the um, opportunities that priests have that no one else has. And so, you know, man, I wish I want to be the priest. Maybe the kids, you know, want to play priest, you know, at home. Like, and, and so this verse is helpful be reminded of, in fact, almost every commentary that I read, or even several sermons that I listened to on this, I, maybe they're all referring to the one guy who, who pointed this out, but they're all saying, this is just an example. The priests are like the lightning rod for, for Israel. Um, and so I think I even put that down in, in the notes, perhaps. But uh, I just
1: thought, thought about something, thinking how when Moses, God to <laughs> Moses and said, I want you to lead these people. Moses says, it's not my strength to do this Well, so I have your son, your brother Aaron, that will be the speaker. He's got
0: that gift. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, and so yes, very good good even remembering that as well. But and then here what you're seeing in this this responsibility that, that Aaron has been given from God is that they're they're going to they're gonna be the ones who bear iniquity connected with their priesthood. And so if you're thinking of um, the responsibility that they're going to have, judgment's going to come on, on them as the leaders if they don't lead in a way that, that honors the Lord. And so, so there's this responsibility that is placed on them and this judgment that will come on them. You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear iniquity connected with the sanctuary. Like uh, Jacob was just saying a few minutes ago, like, people are starting to get this, this fear of you know, how, to, how, to, how to view the tabernacle. Uh, And the leaders are the ones who are gonna bear the responsibility for making sure that the tabernacle is not defiled. And so they're gonna bear the iniquity. You and your sons with you shall bear iniquity connected with your priesthood. So um, here we go. Verse two, then. um, And with you bring your brothers also, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may join you and minister to you while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. So as I keep reading through these verses, let's just see if we notice a key phrase that speaks to the role of the Levites. It speaks to even the role the priests would have over things that take place in the sanctuary, and in regards to their role as priests, what's the key phrase that can uh, that pops up? At least probably four times. Verse three: They shall keep guard over you and over the whole tent, but shall not come near to the vessels of the sanctuary or to the altar lest they and you die. They shall join you and keep guard over the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent. And no outsider shall come near you. And you shall keep guard over the sanctuary and over the altar, that there may never again be wrath on the people of Israel. And behold, I have taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel, they are a gift to you given to the lord to do the service of the tent of meeting and you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar and that is within the veil and you shall serve i give your priesthood as a gift and any outsider who comes near shall be put to death what's this summary role really of of the levites in regards to the uh, the tabernacle um, listed here, they're to guard. That's right. So if you're thinking God is holy, they're going to guard. Um, no outsider shall come in and defile the sanctuary. Keep guard over the sanctuary, over the altar. Uh, what a key phrase in verse five: that there may never again be wrath on the people of Israel. Like, don't allow the Israelites to to go in outside of God's commands. Guard this. Keep according to how God has commanded. And again, well, I say again, maybe I haven't even said this yet. The priesthood is a gift. The priesthood is part of God's good blessing on the people. Indeed, God has been good to Israel. That's what's been stated prior, and the priesthood is part of that. And so if you're thinking of this role that they have as these lightning rods, as guarding God's um, sanctuary, as... Um, upholding the priesthood, this is for the good of the people. And so, several times in these verses, they are a gift to you, the priests. they they've bristled at God's appointment up to this p- point, cause, and they failed to see that this has been God's goodness on display to them. This is a gift to you. It's a gift to you. I give your priesthood as a gift. That's that's the summary of of their. Their, um, their role here, the priest's responsibility as, as this gift from God. So then um, let's walk through just a few verses from each of these next um, sections in, in chapter 18. Ver- verse eight, the Lord spoke to Aaron, behold, I've given you charge of the contributions made to me, all the consecrated things of the people of Israel. I've given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual do, and so what he's going to walk through is, is their right, their ability, their their um, portion in getting to, to um, eat from and the the sacrifices that have been administered by them on God's behalf. So, so this first one in chapter, or I'm sorry, in verse nine, you read of the grain offering and the sin offering and the guilt offering. Um, those, those offerings are rendered unto God. Uh, they're gonna be most holy to you and to your sons. Verse 10 says, in a most holy place uh, shall you eat it. Every male may eat it. It is holy to you. And so, so the grain offering, the sin offering and the guilt offering Those were offerings that the priests were allowed to um, eat. Then uh, you read in verse 11, here's more contributions, other sacrifices, other offerings that are given to the Lord that will bless um, the families of Aaron... Of the priests so in verse 11 this also is yours the contribution of their gifts all the wave offerings of the people of Israel I have given them to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due and so the way that God has provided for um, the priests is through uh, the, these offerings they these this is a portion unto them so those first several offerings were for the priests alone. Then this wave offering for the priest and his family. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. The verse 11 ends. Then verse 12 continues with more portions here. All the best of the oil, all the best of the wine, of the grain, the first fruits of what they give to the Lord, I give to you. The first ripe fruits of all that is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Um what's the reasoning behind this generosity from God to to the priests and the Levites?
1: The Levites were given land.
0: Very good. Very good. Yes. Um go to uh go to the last few verses of this section just to kind of remind us why why God has um appointed it this way. The the Levites were not given land inheritance as the other tribes. Were. Um, <clears throat> so, verse 10, um, say verse 10, I'm sorry. Verse 19, all the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt. And you're, you're thinking of preservation here of this appointed blessing, a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. And the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. So, so God has been good in providing for all Israel. There's no land inheritance given to the, um, the Levites, yet God has provided for them in, in these ways. So you read about God's portion for the Levites as well in, in this next section, starting in 21. Let me read it too. Uh, read it as well. Verse 21, To the Levites, I given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do their service in the tent of meeting so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and among the people of Israel. They shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. Okay, if we were to continue in the rest of that chapter, then you would see, so this, the Levites have not been given an inheritance. So he gets provided for the priests with these offerings. Then he's provided for the Levites in, in this tithe that they get. And then if, as we go on, you actually see that then the Levites actually pay a tithe from this tithe, a tithe of a tithe, to the priests. And so that's 25 and following um, you know, if we had time, we'd probably even interact more with just like the Christian and, and tithing. But but you're seeing this is certainly, the, the tithe that is here, it's very different from anything we could even imagine. You know, like if, if I was just to give the first fruits of my garden, you know, it would not cost me very much, you know, a, a portion of, of my first fruits. There, there's, there's there's very little there. This was related to the mosaic Covenant, it's not something that would, would apply to us in our new covenant realities. And so, I, I, yeah, I even just put down just that Second Corinthians 9, just as that helpful cross-reference just to be mindful of when we're thinking of how do we view giving? I mean, certainly using like a percentage, maybe even beginning with like a 10% kind of perspective on, I'm going to take what from what I earn, all of it is from the Lord. So I'm going to give a portion of what I earn as a generous giver. From my heart to the Lord. That's kind of what we we read about in the scriptures in regards to our approach to to giving. So I do believe this tithe that you would read about is certainly not something that would carry over into the new covenant. This was a mosaic covenant institution here that this tithe that you read about in Numbers uh, 17. But um, 2 Corinthians 9, I'm slowly turning there, uh, says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when we're trying to evaluate what, what we're going to, to give to the Lord, it, it's it, it's clear in this passage, that we're, we're giving it from heart. We're not doing it under compulsion, and we're not doing it reluctantly. We're doing it cheerfully, and, um, and, and God loves a cheerful giver. Well, let's go then to this, this last chapter, because uh, it's unique. Numbers 19. Verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer without defect, in which there is no blemish. A uh, pause here for a second just to point out, um, we'll end in Hebrews 9. This points to Christ when we, we see Christ who is this once for all sacrifice. There's so many things that we could point to in in Numbers. Um, 19, that just prepare us for and show us this greater sacrifice of of Christ. But even when you read this language of, you know, this red heifer without defect, in which there is no blemish, this was to be the type of sacrifice that you brought to the Lord. Um, Without defect, no blemish, and on which a yoke has never come. So we read here, so you shall give it to Eleazar the priest, and it shall be taken outside the camp and slaughtered before him. Um, Why Eleazar and not Aaron? Anybody real quickly just want to chime in why they think Eleazar's got this role that involves being unclean? Uh, actually, I think this... Oh, Aaron
1: the high priest, so he intercedes for the people, right? So he has to be
0: clean. Yeah, 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 that's right. But for Eliezer, he doesn't have to be so this is, in that role. This right? is very good. I think, I think that's the logical reality here. If there's, there's a timeline that you're going to read about that's going to take everyone that's involved with this cleansing agent. It's going to take time. They're going to be clean if they're obedient. They do it God's way, but, there, but there's time that's involved. And so I do think there's just this reality of like Aaron as this high priest, um, the, the timeline would not work for the high priest to be categorically unclean for a certain amount of days. And so Eleazar is given this responsibility. You shall give it to Eleazar, verse 3 says, the priest, and it shall be taken outside the camp and slaughtered before him. Again, I guess if you just see these, these key words that point to, man, this, this does prepare us for... For Christ, this once-for-all sacrifice, when you see this um, sacrifice taken outside the camp. Um, Verse 4, Eliezer the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, sprinkle some of its blood toward the front of the tent of the meeting seven times, and the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its skin, its flesh, its blood with its dung shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet yarn and throw them into the fire, burning the heifer." Then the priest shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. But the priest shall be unclean until evening. The one who burns the heifer shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his body in water and shall be unclean until evening. And a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the water, for impurity, for the congregation of the people of Israel. It is a sin offering. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And this shall be a perpetual statute for the people of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them. So verses 1 through 10, just really kind of walking through, the, the preparing this, this ash that's going to be used as a cleansing agent for someone who comes in contact with a dead body. So it's pretty detailed verses one through ten. All that is to be done and everyone who's involved with it that they're they're unclean in in interacting with even this process. And you read about each, they'll be unclean until evening, it says. So then verse 11 walks into, why, why these ashes? What are you going to use it for? Well, it, it's been told us it's going to be a sin offering, verse 9. Uh, they shall be kept for the water for impurity. There's going to be a water for impurity that is God's gracious gift to the people, how they can be cleansed after touching a dead body, which is Not an unlikely scenario, as we pointed out after what took place in chapter 16. So 11 then just begins, Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. He shall cleanse himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died and does not cleanse himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord and that person shall be cut off from Israel because the water for impurity was not thrown on him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. Well, God has provided a way to be clean when you touch a dead body. Um, and, and anyone who just finds this uh, and when I want to say anyone of the people of Israel when they just hear this they, oh that sounds burdensome that sounds time consuming that sounds over the top I'm not interested you know they, they don't trust God they don't if they didn't trust God's appointed leaders they don't trust God's appointed uh, sin offering here with this cleansing agent and so if they refuse to do it God's way they, they are unclean and uh, they're going to be cut off from God's people And so as it walks through the specifics of of how this, this cleansing is to take place, that's what you read about from this law listed out in verses 14 and following. But just go back again. To verse 20, again, the, the individual who would respond in indifference, in disobedience, in unwillingness to do it God's way, you're just reminded of the judgment from God on them. Verse 20 says, If the man who is unclean does not cleanse himself, that person shall be cut off from the midst of the assembly, since he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Because the water is for impurity has not been thrown on him. He is unclean. And it shall be a statute forever for them. The one who sprinkles the water for impurity shall wash his clothes and the one who touches the water for impurity shall be unclean until evening. And whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean and anyone who touches it shall be unclean until evening. Seeing the holiness of God on display can have nothing to do with sin. Um, this this. Anything that was unclean could not come into God's presence. So God in his goodness and mercy has provided a way for them to be cleansed. And, and this, this, um, this sacrifice that then can be administered by the sprinkling of water would, would cleanse someone after defiling or touching a dead body. So, so this red heifer, red heifer sacrifice comes up in Hebrews and we'll close with this. Hebrews 9. Uh, I'll start in 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Verse 13. Four. So just think again about this trust in God. Do you take God seriously? Sin is an offense against God. He got nothing to do with sin. So He's provided this way to be cleansed. If you wanted to be able to rightly approach God in the, in Israel to rightly approach God, they had to do it God's way. They had to go through God's appointed leaders, and they had to participate and um, obediently offer up these sacrifices to, to not be defiled. And so then what we're seeing here, this new covenant reality through the, the greater sacrifice, this once-for-all sacrifice of Christ, um, that while, while the blood of, both, of goats and bulls and, and even this, this uh, ashes of a heifer that can, that can purify the flesh of a defiled person, Verse 14 then reminds us how much more then will the blood of Christ uh, cleanse the conscience? You know, we can be right with God through God's provision of this once-for-all sacrifice. It's Christ alone that we can be brought into a right relationship with God. Our sins can be forgiven. We can be made right uh, with God through Christ. And we delight in those realities. The Old Testament points us to the work, person and work of Christ Hebrews hopefully shows us how how Jesus is greater in in every way. He's He's greater high priest, greater once-for-all sacrifice, and he's purified our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Uh, Praise God for his gracious provision of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Christ that uh, he came in the flesh lived a perfect life died as a substitute in our place rose from the dead and is seated at your right hand interceding on our behalf we thank you and praise you for um, the gospel of sins forgiven and of um, righteousness credited to our uh, behalf God may we read the Old Testament with, with ears to hear may we um, see what, what is written down for us as examples for our instruction, may, may we listen carefully and respond um, with faith and trust and obedience. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.